Um, and today I'm going to talk about the topic of denial. That should be there. Interestingly, comes often with those pictures. Speak no evil, hear no evil, see no evil. It's, that's kind of denial. And those are emojis on our phone. <laughs> I was in um, the suburb that our new church building is going to be in soon. I was driving around properties there with Ali Smith, and we came across one house, and they had a mural, uh, uh, um, they had on their wall the number of the house, and out of broken tiles, what's that, mosaic, they had a mosaic, and they had these words inscribed over their home, comfortably numb. It's the name of their home, that's the goal of their life. Comfortably numb. Great definition for denial. That's what denial is. It's I'm going to, I'm, I'm battling, things are painful, so I'm going to get to a position to get out of the pain, what do I do? I'm going to numb myself and then I'm comfortable again. That's the re false refuge, that's the idol of denial. It's why we use it. The Lord has designed us so intricately that even at, from birth onwards, we can figure out how to use denial to survive trauma. It's an amazing way to survive trauma. If we are a child in particular, can we get away from traumatic dysfunctional life? No. So we learn we can numb ourselves to it. And I'm gonna go through the different ways we can do that. We learn to numb ourselves to it. And then we're comfortable again. We can be in the, in the tough times. But the Lord's way is that so what does the scripture say? When I'm a child, I behave like a child. But when I'm a man, I put childish things away. And some of us need to put denial away so that we can have true healing, which is different. It's different from denial. Denial is I'm comfortable and numb so that I can survive. True healing is I embrace the fireball of pain and have true healing and then come to peace. Coming to peace is different to coming to numbness. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm going to pray for us with the topic in mind. Um, you know what the most tricky thing is about teaching on denial? When we hear about denial, we don't usually see it or get it because we're in denial. It's actually the hardest topic to have self-revelation on because then you wouldn't be in denial if you saw it. Isn't that amazing? And so it actually takes a yielding of, Lord, whether I know it or not, or you, you look and search my heart and bring anything to the fore that is hidden and numb and things I do not want to look at because it's too hard. It's giving him permission because the scripture says, no one knows our heart except, except him. So I do want to just pray into this because it's hard to actually see it for ourselves. For a bunch of us, we might have lights turn on for people we're in, in family with, people we might be married to, or the way we're parenting, or the way we grew up. We can see it in people around us, but to see areas of ourselves where we've become comfortably numb, really tricky to see. Can we give God permission? The reason people choose denial is lots of pain. So I'm, I'm honoring hearts today by going gently because for us to swap our denial for true healing means we have to go back through the road we avoided and go back through the pain, not be re-traumatized, but go back through the truth, acknowledge the truth, and then have true healing. So it's actually really scary <laughs> to give the Lord permission. But can we try? Is that all right? 
So, Father, I do thank you for this time together, and I just ask that you would give me wisdom and give me discernment. And, Father, I, we gingerly just hold our hearts before you, and we just say, search our hearts. I just thank you, um, spirit of wisdom, spirit of truth. Just come and settle here. I just bind the stronghold of denial, Lord. It's a way of thinking and operating that sets itself against you. So I just take authority over the stronghold of denial, Lord, even, even corporately. Even Australia's stronghold of denial, she'll be right. That's a denial statement. I take authority over the corporate stronghold of denial. And Lord, any higher power that has access because of entrance into that stronghold, Lord, would you hold back all higher powers right now in the name of Jesus? Would you hold back all fear? Would you hold back all shame? In Jesus' name, we just thank you for spirit of truth. We just thank you for your peace. Would you just come and brood here this morning as you give us more tools today on how to set the captives free and how to walk into our destinies. You're only bringing up this topic, Father, because you value us and you value us being whole and alive and on the move. And you will fight for anything that's holding us back from truly living. You didn't, you didn't design us to be comfortable. You designed us to be free. You didn't design us to be numb. You designed us to live in the peace that comes with who you are, the peace that passes our understanding. So thank you for your revelation as we just do this journey together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, some more definitions on what denial is. There's just four different ones I'll give us to play with. It is usually unconscious. Unconscious way of postponing pain until a more favorable time to process it. So if you're a note taker, go for gold. But another idea is you can actually just hold your phone in front of you and take photos of the screams as they come through. <laughs> just another tip. Then you can go over them at home as well. So either way is fine for me. So denial is an unconscious way of postponing pain until a more favorable time to process. For some of us, though, where we get stuck is we never come to that favorable time to process. It was our intention, but we actually choose to shut down without the plan to process it later. But often for us, especially who know the Lord, and he feels we're in a safe enough community, he will start to bring up stuff in our lives that we can no longer live separate from. But it's a postponing, postponing of pain. It's an unwillingness or inability to view life or ourselves as we really are. I'm not really too busy for my kids. I'm not really an alcoholic. I'm not really sick. I'm not really passive. Life isn't really, you know, dot, dot, dot. It's, it's any way that we have guarded the truth about who we really are or what life really is so we can survive. It is a decision, usually unconsciously made, to not live in the truth and not face the truth. So we come up with a lot of coping mechanisms to avoid truth. And we don't want to hear truth. We make sure we don't have conversations where truth will be shown to us or revealed to us. And we don't want to live in the truth. Avoidance of that, which means we can avoid relationships that are... We actually all need bad friends in a good way. Mean friends, that's a better word. We need Christian mean friends who tell us the truth. 
They're the best friends. Seriously, get them around you. <laughs> Where they're honest and they go, this is not your destiny, what I'm seeing in your life. There's more. There's more than this. Um, but for some of us, we, we set up an ecosystem around us that will protect not living in the truth. We hang out with people who won't confront us. They'll just enable and okay what we're doing. We avoid things like Life Hub, uh, discipleship friendships, Life Hub leaders, Sunday mornings. Just get away from the beam of light. It's like for some of us, we're like, okay, I can stand here. There's no light above me. I can stand here. I can go to that party and I can go to that church because they won't put light on me. So it's an avoidance of the truth. There's only fear under that usually and pain. And trying hard to stay in control. Why would we do that? Because for some of us, things were out of control growing up or today feel out of control. So we try as a coping mechanism to stay in control by manipulating the truth about our surroundings or people's actions. My wife really isn't, and it'll be, we just minimalize whatever destructive thing she's doing. My husband really isn't detached. He's just doing the call of the God. Or we, we come up with things to help us stay in control of reality. Making sense? Okay, so why would we use denial? All of us, I think, do it in some measure. Me too. I think in our areas of our life, it's a coping mechanism. It's the best one there is. It's the best one there is. For some people, performance orientation is their coping mechanism. I'm just going to do everything perfectly, and that's the way I'll do life. For some of us, it's addictions. This is actually one. It's addictions. For some of us, it's rebellion and hardening the heart. But denial is the, is the gold, the gold one. If you find it, you really can get numb and get through. It's very amazing if you find it. But the depth of it is the depth of deception we live our life in and the depth of impact we have on the rows around us. The thing about denial is we don't realize it comes with so much bad fruit because we're numb. The bad fruit is, is spread on who we're married to or who we're best friends with or if we have children. They cop every ounce of denial we live in. Did you know that? And yet we don't want to let it go because it's keeping us alive. It's keeping us safe. But we don't, we don't feel our consciousness is seared because we're numb. So anyone who's come into agreement with denial, the people who cop every decision to stay numb are the people who are stuck with us, inactive, not present. Does that make sense? Okay, so why do we choose denial? It alleviates, lifts, gets rid of, not truly, but feels like it, pain. So trauma. Trauma, maybe our homes are dysfunctional. I just want to define dysfunctional family because I'm going to use that a few times. I think everyone here has experienced trauma or some kind of dysfunctional event happening to us, maybe at the hands of, of a sibling or an uncle or a teacher or bullying or an accident or being hit by some, a car or sickness. We've all had horrible things happen. But a dysfunctional family means every day was dysfunctional in the upbringing. And that's only, uh, uh, that's less of us. So all of us have had trauma. But for some of us, the actual, the actual home life was dysfunctional in general. And so there's pain and trauma. Th these people are the ones who get into denial more. Okay, so there's pain, there's guilt. 
using a guilt system, using maybe you're the scapegoat of the family. So a dysfunctional family usually has one person, that, one kid that gets all the blame of the dysfunction so the parents don't uh, take responsibility for it. There's usually a scapegoat. There's usually a clown, <laughs> the kid who just becomes the funny one to cope and to, to have everyone be alleviated of the pain. And so there's often guilt in our life of how we're living, so we use denial because we can't get better. It alleviates responsibility. I don't have to change. I don't have to become a man. I don't have to become a woman. I don't have to actually act like a parent. I don't have to be responsible for this family. I don't have to choose life. I don't have to be responsible for my impact on other people. It alleviates responsibility. If we don't want to live highly responsible, we come into agreement with denial to alleviate the the consciousness that comes with choosing to not be responsible and it alleviates fear so for some of us if we especially if we've lived in a dysfunctional home there's a lot of fear everyday fear so in order to get rid of fear and to not feel that fear we can turn denial on and the fear numbs out and then shame so some families are real shame based it's really performance based and um, you know, how you're performing is the, is the goal. So to alleviate shame, we just deny who we are. I deny my true self and I take on performing amazingly. So it's a coping mechanism with shame. Not just family, some churches use that too. Do you like acronyms? Denial. Don't even notice I am lying to myself. That's, that's a, a cleaner definition of denial. I don't even notice. So it usually is unconscious. It's not meant. <laughs> if you're living with someone in denial, be encouraged. It's not meant. It's not meant. And they didn't know. It was unconsciously decided. But the fruit is still the fruit. Okay. In Scripture, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So the word denial isn't actually in the Bible, but the word deception and deceit is, and deceiving ourselves is right throughout, or lots of stories, I'll mention a couple, of people who did things that showed that they were in denial. But the word denial, if you want to look up a whole bunch of scriptures, you probably have to look it up topically, rather. But that's a really good one there, showing the word deceive. And that's even for us today. If we're like, no, nah, I've got no denial, <laughs> we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And our, our aim is for all the truth to be in us, and for us to move forward and out. Does that make sense? Okay, so if there has been a dysfunctional family unit, in a dysfunctional family we learn, it's one of the advanced topics also of Elijah House, but in other counselling things, it's nothing's new under the sun, but if there's a dysfunctional family system where the day-to-day -day is dysfunctional, there's three th sort of family rules that are never expressed, but you sense, you sense them, and that's don't feel, don't think, and don't talk or one of them, or two of them, or three of them. I'd like to add don't need. Don't need. So these are things we learn if we grow up in a dysfunctional family, is feelings are not discussed, and there's no space for each person's feelings to be shown. Maybe mom's feelings are that big, that's all that can fit in the house. Or you get yelled at if you express, don't feel that way. No, you don't feel angry. Any feeling that's trying to be communicated, no, you don't, you don't hate your brother. You don't, so Christians can do that. We get uncomfortable about all negative emotions. 
There's no such thing as a negative emotion. All emotions are made by the Lord and they're morally neutral. Anger is morally neutral. Acting in anger, that's sin. Bitterness and hardening of heart as a response to anger, that's sin. But sadness, fear, pain and anger, they're the four most negative emotions. None of those four are are morally wrong. But if we're not allowed to have them as kids, a lot of Christian homes that don't have negative feelings, they squash it very quick. We don't, we're not comfortable with you having those feelings around. No anger is allowed. No, and we squash the very emotions Jesus had. There needs to be space for weeping and, and anger, but not acting in anger and dealing with anger quickly, but still allowed to have it. So don't feel can be a family rule. Don't think. Maybe there's a parent who's just very bombastic and you learn no matter what I say, it's not going to get anywhere. There's no discussion. There's no drawing me out and seeing what I have to offer in the family. It's do just, yeah, the opinion of one person or something is what everybody follows, but don't think. And don't talk. Don't have an opinion. Don't try and fix the situation. So these are things we can learn. The huge one I'm coming across often is don't need. There's a lot of people, the more we're interconnecting, it's like they've learned my needs aren't important. They make the most amazing Christian husbands or wives because their whole goal is to serve the the family, which actually sounds very wonderful. But so long as they have no needs, it's I won't have any needs. My partner's needs and my kid's needs is everything, which does sound holy but Jesus is the only martyr like he's not called us to martyrdom we're supposed to have our need but then put our partner's need before ours that's different but to just have no needs maybe sometimes we've learned that from a a family of origin rather from the Lord He, he loves us to hear our needs he loves to give us good gifts when we voice our needs our needs are important and some of us learned having needs is just useless I might as well give up I'm not going to get anywhere here. So those are some reasons why um, we can get into denial, is those things are in play. So there's a few different types of denial, and they work in different ways. There's about six I'm going to go through. Um, They each are slightly different strategies to become numb. Some of us, though, use all of them or or a range of them. And if if you can notice that's in your life, then that's called a denial system. That's called a denial system if we use a few of them. Okay, so these are the different types of denial. It says in the the heading, types of rationalizing that form a veil of denial. So what is it to rationalize? Rationalize means make sense of. So as a child, we're trying to make sense of a bad situation. Or as an adult, we're trying to make sense of the dysfunction that we find ourselves in. So trying to rationalize. And in our trying to rationalize it, we end up getting a veil. Oh, I'm comfortably numb. And we live with a veil. And we walk around in a glaze. So that's, that's why we do it. So the first is minimizing. There was a red blankie up here. Bethia, could you bring me that? Bethia, sorry, could you bring me that red blankie in the box? Had my eye on it during the worship. I thought it would be a little, little demonstration. Thank you. Okay, so this is 
I'm going to talk about past and present. So we can be in denial about our family of origin experiences or school experiences or anything in the f you know, that age. Or we can be in denial about our present life, our present experiences. Maybe we never even used denial as a kid. We, we figured it out. It doesn't take much to figure out we can numb ourselves. Very amazing. So um, this red represents whatever the traumatic experience is, whether it's the family environment and the parents and the trauma of their discord, whether it's that there's war or economic hardship or violence in the home or abuse. Um, it might be financial hardship now or dysfunctional family you find yourself in now or dysfunctional marriage that you find yourself in now. So this is it. So can a child remove themselves from the traumatic environment? So what can a child do? They can't get away. If I can't remove that, do you see what denial is? Then I remove me on the inside. Very smart. I can turn from life on the inside and just not be present. And then some of us grow up and we're still not very present. We're not, we don't really hear our partner's heart. We're just not present. And our goal was to not be present and it's still in play. And that's what causes damage and it causes a blockage. This is one of the biggest blockages in prayer ministry. This is why we're, we're going to do this topic as well as the, at the Green Tree. When you're doing prayer ministry, the first thing you look at is all the present day fruit that's just not working for you, all the bitter fruit. And then you track to where the deep decisions are in the root system that created that and denial is a blockage. It really is a blockage because you actually can't look at the truth of what a mom was like or what a dad was like. And in Elijah House, we teach on honor your mother and honor your father. So it is not a blame <laughs> time. We do not just love listening about people's past because we just blame them all. Uh, uh, uh. But we need to bring things into truth about where they let us down. We need to name things as what it was and then recognize where we judged them and when we didn't forgive them. But we need to work with the truth in order to get free. But for some people, as a protection over, because it's too sore to look at, the, the alcoholic father you had is like your biggest idol in your eyes. He's just my everything. Because I can't deal with the truth. can't deal with the truth, so I idolize my parents. Or I idolize that teacher. Or I idolize something so that I don't have to deal with the pain involved that they're letting me down. So it really can be a blockage in ministry. So minimizing is the first one. And as you can imagine, what do we think of the word minimal, minimum? So we go, oh, it's not that, that bad. We make it smaller. Still the same size, but folded up. And we just go, he didn't mean to do it to me. And so I feel comfortable again because he didn't mean it. And we never deal with the trauma or the abuse or the lack, the unmet need. He didn't mean to be busy or away. It's because we were battling. And it's true, but then there's no acknowledgement of all the unmet need, and so that stays as a place of denial. We just make it just smaller. Oh, she'll be right. Oh, your wife needs you at home. You should go home. Oh, she'll be right. Oh, the structure of this building isn't really... Oh, she'll be right. Oh, this doesn't... Oh, she'll be right. Let's get into comfortability about it so we don't have to take responsibility. That's what it is. It's alleviating responsibility, which was one of those reasons we do thing, is the she'll, she'll be right. 
alleviates any responsibility that I have to be a man or a woman in this situation or fix my mess. So we minimize things so we don't have to fix our mess. Uh, the kids aren't really impacted by me being like I am. They're fine. They're young. They won't remember it. Oh, it doesn't really matter. We don't need this money for anything else. I'll just spend it. Oh, it's just a small sin. It's not the big sins. I didn't murder anybody. It's just a small sexual sin. I didn't sleep with anybody. It's just me when I'm alone. That's all denial. It's just one drink. It's not two. I'm not saying one can't drink. But if it's a false refuge, then have a look at that. So any false refuge we have. Oh, but I just need rest. It's been a really hard day. I need to have a beer before I face my family. And then your family get to spend time with you a little bit dazed. But I just deserve it. Uh, it's been a big, a big week. Minimize, minimize, minimize. Can you see? Can you see? And, and then we stay in deception. And who cops it? Those that we've attached ourselves to. Oh, it's just, um, it's a clean series that I'm watching all the time. So it doesn't matter that I'm watching TV all the time because it's clean. I was driving with um, Rachel yesterday and she said to me, you know, I'm having a revelation about TV. It can be a false refuge for us, uh, for people. And she said, it's interesting that you feel like you can just watch TV for a while because it's to rest. But then the all episodes, doesn't matter what episode it is, they're made using um, suspe suspense to keep you watching. So you're actually going to go rest and watch TV and be in suspense for the entirety of the movie or every series so that you watch the next one. There's just little bits of suspense all the way through, even house shows, everything. It's suspense and competitions you watch. And so that's not rest, is it? Isn't that amazing? But at least your feet are up and we just, we're having time away from life. So it can be a refreshment. There's nothing wrong with having a refreshment. I love watching I love watching movies. I've got favorite DVDs. I just don't have TV because I, I, I live alone. I don't want to use that as a denial system to cope with that. So I don't have one. But I do have an ability to watch DVDs, and I love them. And I think it's fine to have a break and to be in another world and be inspired. That's what stories are for. That's what fiction is for. That's what books are for. It's good, says the ex-English teacher. But, like it is, it's really, it grows things in us and even helps our prophetic vision. Like, it's really great. But if we do it as a way of not coping with our reality, TVs and phones, some of us could do with getting bored. I was like, I don't know when the last time was I was bored. I don't know if I've had boredom as an adult because I've had my phone. What's wrong with boredom? Boredom leads us to analyzing our life sometimes, which is not a bad idea. When did we last just rest and think about our relationships and think about what could I do better? Or are we covering, okay, I've got no responsibility, kids are down, <laughs> my partner doesn't really need me, he's got me for the next 20 years, I'll just be on my phone. It's just an hour. And it's like, that's an hour's worth that you could have been brainstorming how you're going to get free. Is that all right? So that's minimizing. Forgetting. It's a real we weird one. But we can actually, psychologically, we can just be people who forget things. In particular, things from our past. But if we forget us, it's usually because we've chosen to be people who don't remember. If we have no memory of our childhood, we probably chose not to remember. We didn't forget. So if we're forgetters, I didn't mean not to call you, I forgot. 
it alleviates responsibility for getting. So for some of us, it's a coping thing and we just live in a daze all the time and we just don't remember where everything is and we live in a haze and that's our goal because it alleviates responsibility. So forgetting can be another th thing that we get trapped in and it can really impact others. Um, avoiding. Are we okay? We're all in this together. I ain't angry. Okay, so if we're not minimizing it, we're not forgetting it, another thing we can do is avoid it. It isn't there. It, it still isn't there. This is working. It's, I can't see the red blanket. So we avoid and we do other things like distraction. So that's a lot of false refuges. I'm in a shop to cope with what I'm going through at home. And I'm going to spend his money because he's just a terrible husband anyway. And I'm going to uh, constantly be online and I'm going to um, just stay talking all the time in a conversation so no one can confront me with the truth. And I'm just going to avoid this. I'm going to avoid any person who speaks the truth to me. I'm going to avoid discipleship. I'm going to avoid asking somebody, is there a way I can do my life better? And we spend time instead talking about how bad everything is. That's avoidance tactic. It's really great to get alongside people and go, how can I help myself? How can, can you see anything? And just don't, don't do the avoiding thing. It's a trap. I'm just interchanging notes here. Um, oh, I've skipped verses that have come with all these things. So with the forgetting one, for example, it was Joshua 1 verse 17. Israel answered Joshua, just as we fully obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Did they fully obey Moses in all things? <laughs> no, that is forgetting. <laughs> that is denial. <laughs> they forgot they had not obeyed Moses. So that's what I mean by examples in the Bible of just uh, denial. So avoiding is pleading ignorance. There's a lot of pleading ignorance to the state that we're in. Um, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother, who we just killed? And he said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? I plead ignorance. Ugh. That's a denial system. In marriage, a partner might refuse to face or talk about issues. So if one or both of the partners, it's like, like it's even better when both partners don't do it. It's like, oh, neither of us want to deal with stuff anyway. This is the most comfortable marriage ever. Both passive. But it's really hard when one wants to and the other doesn't. But avoidance is a denial. So avoiding having confrontation talks to deal, avoiding hearing and dealing with the truth of the situation is a denial strategy to alleviate responsibility and pain and guilt and fear. Um, in prayer ministry, the seeker, the person coming, may talk about one parent a lot, ignoring the other completely, or deny negative feelings about one while exalting the other. So one's the hero and one's the scapegoat, the one who gets all the blame. And we do find that in prayer ministry. There's usually often even one parent that they battled with the most, but we always, in particular, they'd never mention the other one. And there's usually denial around where the other one might have let them down. I'm going to give a painful example, but I feel it might help us understand. It's just a, I'm sorry, but it happens. So in a sexual abuse case, they're always dealing with the parent who sexually abused them. It's a very hard journey, but we slowly shape them to where was the other? 
Where was the protection of the other? Where was the presence of the other? Where was the... And then the rage comes at the other one when we actually... It's down there. So the scapegoat and the hero is often... Can't deal with both being bad, but often we have one as a hero. And later, only when, we de- when we're hearing about our unmet need and we're hearing about what should have been in place, we, we turn the light on and we go, oh, there's pain here too. And I just wanted to mention that. Okay, justifying is another one. These are still on the screen, hey. Tech and I are becoming friends. And actually, Andrew's doing a lot of work for me in the background. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. So justifying just as if I didn't do it. That's how you remember justify, just as if I didn't. So we justify. So we look at this and we go, so if this is maybe trauma that we're dealing with at the moment in our marriage or something, uh, he didn't mean to hit me, and that's how we try and deal with it and make it smaller. He didn't mean that. It it wasn't the plan. It just ended up that way. He's so stressed from work, and we excuse. So justifying is excuses, excuses, excuses. Instead of going excuse me, <laughs> which is different to excuses. So uh, when it's our family of origin trauma, justifying is oh he didn't mean to do it. They really loved me, but they couldn't help it. It's hard working with Christian family people. Are they in ministry? Of course they didn't meet my needs because they're serving God. It doesn't matter. It was just me. So many people got saved. Ministry can be quite a funky one in the justifying process. Um, Mom couldn't. She was ill. Dad couldn't. He was poor. Um, The teacher didn't mean to do it. He was stressed. And we justify, we excuse their behavior, and now it doesn't hurt anymore. just want to say again that I know this is a deep topic and for some people if this is your first time hearing it it might be squeezing things I want to encourage you to not be tempted to numb just hold that fireball of pain it's the way through so just say Lord you can have this thank you for the truth thank you that this is bringing me into freedom and just stay holding that fireball of pain we're going to come through we're going to come through your healing is nigh so that's just justifying we excuse them or we excuse us that we can justify our behavior at home. I'm allowed to get home late. I need my friends because my wife's a nagger. It's fine. My kids don't need me. They have got their friends on Facebook. We justify our behavior. I don't need to be the man of the house. You're the spiritual one. You're the prophet. We justify our passivity. You've got all the emotions. I'm the peaceful one. No, you're the dead one. Okay. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Um. So, situational ethics, it's called. I have a lot of stress in my life, so what's wrong with a few beers now and then? So, situational ethics, you're dealing with the moral ethics of it and, and giving it license because of the situation. Can't have a quiet time because... Oh, and now it alleviates my guilt. That was good. Okay. And Saul said, oh no, I didn't understand that scripture, so then I chose not to use it. I crossed it out. <laughs> I couldn't find the, I'm like, where is the denial in that sentence? It's, a, it's not the best example. So I didn't see that I'd crossed it out. So blame shifting. I'd like to land on this one for a little bit. 
Um, this is when it's, uh, as, a, as an avoidance tactic, our focus is always on somebody else and we alleviate then our guilt, our pain, our responsibility. It's your fault. If you hadn't done that first, we wouldn't have done this. So anytime there's accountability being called close to you, it's, well, the kids made me do it. They're stressing me out. Of course I lost my temper. Have you seen the child you brought to this world? And it's always somebody else's fault that our behavior becomes always someone else's fault. It's really, really deep denial. Everyone's behavior is their own responsibility, including ours. So our outbursts, our responses of anger, our behavior is always our responsibility. No one can make you angry. Did you know that's a thing? That's a terminological inexactitude. No one can make you angry. It's not a thing. No one has the power to do that. Someone can tempt you to be angry and push your buttons, but no one can make you angry. They can only tempt you to be angry. It's not a thing. That's a denial coping mechanism of your anger is because your kid, is because of your boss, is because of your client, it's because of your spouse, it's because of your singleness. No one can make you angry. Situations reveal us. That's all. Whatever the kid did revealed you. Whatever your boss did revealed you. Whatever your spouse did or didn't do revealed you. And so your sinful response came out of that. Just want to bring that bit of truth. So blame shifting happened right back. It's an Adamic sin. It happened right back in the garden. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Genesis 3.12. That was Adam's denial structure. It was the woman. And the woman said, it was the snake. It's denial, it's blame shifting instead of going, yeah, I'm at where I am because of me. It's the most, it's so hard to sit with someone and go, I think you need to know that your present situation is a result of your choices. I had to do it this week. I needed another life member leader with me to just be brave. But the person who believes their outcomes in life are everyone else's fault is in deception and can't actually get into freedom until they go, I got me here. The most powerful place we can ever get to is I got me here. Even if the wife was horrifically abusive and slept around on you and the kids, whatever the trauma happened around you, the fruit is yours. Lots and lots of tiny decisions. I'm not talking about trauma that gets done to us like abuse. That's not our fault. But if we're living as a victim, as an adult, because of childhood abuse, that's our fault. I'm going to say that again. If we're living as a victim still, because we got tempted to believe we're a victim when we were victimized, that's our fault. In the kingdom, there are no victims. But in the churches, there are. It's not a kingdom reality. There's no such thing as being a victim except that we've chosen. That's our identity. And we interface every relationship and every conversation from the woe is me and I'm a victim. You're not a victim. You're a powerful person who might have been victimized. But you are amazing and you're strong and you have a voice and you can create change and you can get out of this. You can get out of any situation you're in with the power of the Lord and with making great choices. Being stuck is not a kingdom reality, even if things were stuck for a while, temporarily. 
None of us are victims, but unfortunately, we use a denial system of, so I'm not responsible for any of the fruit in my life by blame shifting. Usually, a partner or ex-partner copped all the blame, and so there's a, there was a, there's a delay in how have I brought dysfunction to the situation. I'm not saying that both partners had the same amount of dysfunction they brought to the situation, but usually there's something, even if it's just one thing, that we can own and work on and come into freedom. I know these are touchy topics. Please forgive me. So I'm going to talk about victim triangulation. You may have come across it in Danny Silk's books, but it's actually it's called the Karpman tri Drama Triangle. I think that was his surname. If we believe that we we're a victim, regardless of whether we were victimized or not, sometimes we can enter into relationships where we have, we're the good, the good person, always the victim, and then there's this persecutor, and the persecutor is the bad guy. It's the boss, it's the ex, or your present partner, or the teenager, or your ex-friend, or someone in the church, or your life hub leader. So that's the person who's the bad guy, and your attention is always on them. And then your relationship dynamics is you, in, you, you find rescuers who are gonna feel sorry for you. Or someone who you can ask to go speak to the persecutor. Or can you go email them and get them? Workplaces do it. And it's actually a habitual thing where a victim always talks about what's being done to them by someone else, and there's always a bad person. And they find those of us, especially who are pastoral and have a gift of mercy, and they tell us what all the bad guys done, and then we get stroked, and we get looked after, and then I feel better. And it becomes um, a coping mechanism, and it becomes our only identification of love. I think it's in unit four or five coming up at Elijah House. Identifications of love, such a powerful teaching. We only hear love through particular doors. And then we put that on our partner. You're not doing it through that door. And a lot of us, the only door we have open is um, compassion and, and sympathy. That's how I hear love. And so to everyone, it's, will you sympathize with me? Will you sympathize with me? Will you sympathize? And all of our connection is based on who's going to sympathize with me and who didn't. And everyone who didn't is the bad guy. And everyone who didn't give me what I needed as the bad person. And it's because we've taken on the mentality and the, the relationship dynamic of a victim. There's always a bad guy. There's always rescuers who help affirm that, oh my gosh, that is definitely a bad person that I'm in relationship with. And it makes appeases my need for responsibility. It appeases my pain. It appeases, does that make sense? So this is under the category of blame shifting because it's only when we go, I'm not a victim. I have been made a powerful person by what Jesus did on the cross and I am responsible for me. I am responsible for me and the present life I'm in and I'm gonna open it up to the Lord and take on the responsibility and my, f my conversations are starting, they're gonna start to be about what can I do? It's another Danny Silk thing to use with your kids when well, I'm a victim, or to use with friends. So what are you going to do? Had to do it for a couple of hours with someone this week. Keep bringing them back to the reality of the severity of their state. And what are you going to do? What's the plan? Did you know that without planning to, any of us who live in survival mode have a plan? It's not that we wrote it down, but we have a plan. So for some of us, we don't even know we're in survival mode, but we are. And our plan is to survive 24 hours. 
I don't know how I'm going to do tomorrow, but I'm going to survive 24 hours. And our plan in that will be a whole bunch of coping mechanisms, a whole bunch of who am I going to talk to that will give me sympathy, a whole bunch of I'm going to do nothing that gets me better but gets me through. Probably a lot of phone use in there and a lot of distraction and definitely not facing my heart and busyness and zoning out and, and this plan works. It's amazing. If any of us have that plan in here, it works. You know why? Because you're here. It, you've got a 100% pass rate. This plan is foolproof. But it's a plan to cope. It's not a plan to get free. It's different. And some of us have this, we're just living life. We're just going through the motions. That's called not knowing how to live free and just surviving. That's called, I'm going to do 24 hours. And we're just existing. And we don't have a mojo. And we're not taking hold of and take, you know, moving. We're just passive, passively letting life happen to us. The day runs me instead of I run the day. And, and, and I live in defense instead of offense. But the plan of how to survive 24 hours is very different to the plan of how to get free. The plan of how to get free is to come out of denial and face the, that's a bad word, the, the thing we're in. Face, face reality and take responsibility for us getting us there and, t and call things as they are. That person did dominate me and victimized me. That person did abuse me. There's pain here, there's hurt here, there's shame here, there's fear here. This looks threatening to anyone with a denial system, why? This is the very thing we ran away from. This ain't, where are we going? This was my plan from childhood to stay I can cope 24 hours. And then the, the Lord wanting the church to be on the move and half of us are 24-hour people. And he's like, let's get you free, which takes facing the truth. And then let's move forward, actually truly free from everything we've been through rather than comfortably numb. Does that make sense? Comfortably numb means I survive 24 hours. True healing is I face and embrace the fireball of pain and I, I get up. I get up <laughs> and I move out and I start living. That's the difference. So just wanted to throw the victim triangulation in there because it can keep us trapped into, be into believing we're not responsible for our outcome. The victim mentality is a stronghold and a lie. Okay, so. Oh, no, no. Da, 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 do, do, do. So that was blaming, justifying, avoiding. So outright denial. I didn't put blame shifting in there, I did blaming. Justifying, that said, just as if I did it. And then outright denial. So outright denial can be as deep as this word called dissociation, where parts of our heart actually break off from each other and we only live partially present. There's parts of us that are just shut away for all eternity. That's the plan. Our personality can actually, our personhood can actually split to get away from trauma. A gift the Lord gave a child if they ever go through things he didn't design them to do. But that split, it's like the church then needs the keys of how to reintegrate that person. Otherwise, they live in denial, even though the denial helped them at the time. So sometimes we can be dealing with multiple personalities and a person that's too afraid to integrate because the pain it was too great. Too great. And that takes a slow and gentle journey. But yeah, out, outright denial is just, this doesn't even exist. It's just... That's the people who don't remember a thing about childhood. They, they're sh shut down. If anyone's deeply shut down, 
It's, it's called outright denial. And their goal is to live completely disconnected from anything that was bad. And then they live life deeply disconnected. Which, unless someone requires them to enter back into life, people go to their deathbed deeply disconnected. If you marry someone deeply disconnected, it can be the most traumatic thing. So you probably have secondary, secondary trauma. Theirs is the primal trauma that made them shut down. It's a painful thing, but start to consider yourself a gift to that person. Because unless they're required to live, which is you confronting it and confronting it, and I'll give you some other tools to use, unless you require them or your kids require them to be fully present and alive, they could go on like this to their grave. It's the Lord's kindness that he gave you to them to, to not settle for them being half gone. Fight for them, help them, reveal it, show, say. Denial needs to be shown over and over again. Do you know that you're in deception? Do you know? And it, and it takes a journey. I'll go on to that in a minute. But in the trauma of living or being a kid of someone in deep denial or shut down, um, consider yourself a gift. They, you may be their only way back to actually living fully in this life. So... Sometimes a coping mechanism if, someone else, if you're married to someone in deep denial is to join them. <laughs> They're not going to come back. They're going to stay in the false refuge. So I'm going to minimize the pain it has on me and I'm going to live on half mast too. The drinking doesn't bother me. Everything's fine. So then there's two people in denial because the one person's become a denial person as an adult to cope with someone who's always been in denial. It's all come out of denial. Fight the brokenness and live. Is that all right? So... What to do if you feel that you're in relationship with someone who is in denial? That could be your bestie, that could be your parent, that could be your spouse, um, which is very, very painful. More for you than for them, because they're not in touch with it. Um, build trust. So if I'm working with a client, so I was working with someone this week, deep, deep, deep denial, decades long. Build trust. So the relationship connection, huge amounts of frustration are not going to help. I get frustrated, I don't take the frustration out on them. And that's what Heart Life meetings every now and again with my team are for. <laughs> I met up with Teresa two weeks ago. <laughs> the person I was working with in denial because it's, um, you can see all this terrible bad fruit that's happening around them and in the church. But just keep coming back to that person and just build trust. Fight for them, don't fight them. And they've got to know you're fighting for them, not fighting them. And be patient. I usually find once they can let in a bit of, oh, maybe I'm not in the truth, and they can risk dealing with the truth, then just give them mouthfuls, not the whole damn lot. Did I say that? <laughs> I won't go into denial about it. I apologize. But um, just ris risking often can, you know, if they're choosing to risk being out of denial, it, it takes sections sometimes, so just work with them. But don't stop confronting it and revealing it. Don't give up the fight, oh, people married to people in denial. Don't give up the fight. It's deeply painful, and it's so worth the fight. You will get all the reward. <laughs> but keep revealing it. Keep going, I can't partner with you in this thing, because it's deception. But... Revealing and confronting may be the only thing you've tried. There's two types of praying that really, really work. The first is, this is an Elijah House saying, ask God to overload their structures. 
A structure is a stronghold. It's a way of thinking. So denial is a whole stronghold. It's a structure. It's a way I approach life. I avoid that. I avoid that. I use this false refuge. So it's a structure. And when we deal with strongholds, we come out of all the inner vows and things like I won't have needs and um, I won't be present here at all. And we break all those inner vows because that's what's involved in denial. And we bring it all to death on the cross. The structure has to come to death on the cross. And the Lord has to build new ways of dealing with life and coping with life in if they just get rid of denial, that it doesn't, doesn't mean they have coping strategies. That's something to remember. <laughs> you don't want them to just lose the denial. It's their only coping strategy. So you want it to, to just come to death on the cross and the Lord needs to build in new coping strategies that bring life. But ask the Lord to overload that structure. Pray. God, because the structure of denial I was seeing yesterday is the bridge. It's like a bridge. You've seen a bridge before? And this land over here is reality I find myself in. And that land over there is the greener pastures and is where no pain is. This is the trauma or the responsibility I don't want to take hold of. And that's freedom instead of God. (laughs) So we build a bridge of denial. Ah, I can be comfortably numb. So ask the Lord to, to overload this bridge. Ask him to overload the structure so that it doesn't work for us anymore. Pray for us. It doesn't work for us anymore. And then we go, I think I'm in denial. We start to have revelation and then we start to not want it anymore. And that's when life can start. And the other prayer is start binding deception. Just pray over them when they're sleeping. (laughs) I bind deception because that's what's in play. The stronghold of denial opens to the demonic of deception. So just be binding the deception that they're under and ask the Lord to hold back all higher powers until they come out of that thing. So those are two things to pray. Overload the structure, bind um, deception. And then in conversations with them, validate their feelings. Often people in deep denial, especially the shutdown version, don't have feelings language, especially from a dysfunctional home where feelings weren't discussed. Uh, There's one girl I've journeyed with for two years and a lot of part of the journey, even though it was a sexual abuse case, has been giving her heart a voice. A healed heart has a voice. A healed heart has a voice. And we need to find words for the pain on the inside. And a lot of the pain we experienced as a child, it means pre-verbal. So we didn't have words for that pain. (laughs) It's really important to give our children language for pain and different things and They're crying and use words to to identify that's probably what they're feeling. Give them words. But with this girl that I've been working with, the only negative word she had was um, annoyed. How did you feel in the courtroom when you lost? Annoyed. How did you feel in that time of sexual abuse? Annoyed. How did you feel this? How did you feel any negative emotion in our entire journey was just the word annoyed. See the shutdown? the denial and part of our journey has been me showing her there's other words for negative feelings i've gotten there's a wheel of negative feelings you can download off the internet that's got the main core ones so fear sadness anger and i mentioned them at the beginning and sadness did i say that sorry yeah yeah pain pain yeah and and then there's a whole plethora of words that actually can be used i was I'm just teasing. I'm going to use funny words. Um, But there's other words. I was dismayed. I was horrified. Those are words our heart needs to say. So it's actually as you're working with someone who's coming through denial, keep talking about that experience even though they don't want to go over it ever again. I've said it all. But the heart hasn't said it all. Just the mouth has. 
the heart needs to have a voice and those words need to be stamped onto those experiences because it's when we come into agreement with the truth we can come into healing okay so work validate feelings and help them gain the language what if i'm realizing i've been in denial what if this morning I'm going, oh, some of my passivity or some of my false refuges or some of my shutdown is a denial of my own heart? This means you've already done 90% of the healing journey. 90% of the healing process is recognition of we're in denial. It's that hard to recognize. We need the family of God around us and our spouses who are for us, not against us, hopefully, to tell us there's denial in play. We don't know what we don't know. <laughs> and it's about 90% of the healing process is done if we can go, I think I've got denial. Uh, and then get prayer ministry because to each person it's different. You need to get into all the inner vows of shutdown that were made. There's padlocks all the way up and down. They need to all be opened and found and opened. And all the pain that's unexpressed. Look back at the screen. If someone's going to choose to come out of denial, those are still all in their heart, even if the situation's changed. That person might be living in complete wellness now, but careful what you're asking them to do, because those things have still never been dealt with. Do you understand? It's not a little thing for someone to choose to come out of denial, because that never got dealt with way back when. So it's still churning away underneath with the goal to have a lid, lid on it. So just if you're going to be the person to require them to come out of denial, just be open to journeying with them through a bit when they start having these feelings. <laughs> journeying with a woman whose uh, journey has been to stop denying negative, if there's even such a thing, emotions. Because she grew up in a Christian household where we don't um, feel bad about things. Oh, I was watching Anne of Green Gables. And Anne's like full of heart language and dramatic heart language. And who's the lady she lives with? Um, Marilla. She says to Marilla, don't you ever despair? Don't you ever feeling despair? And Marilla's like, to despair is to turn your back on God. I'm like, I'm not sure about that. I think despair is biblical. Getting, staying stuck in despair is not good. <laughs> But I, despair is, is just a reality of the heart feeling that, just, but then we need to move forward from it. But we don't need to just squash despair or be afraid. Ah, someone's having worry. They're not trusting God. Squash the worry. And some of us are actually more uncomfortable with the negative emotion in that person than they are. But this person, we did some inner healing. We went right back to childhood stuff, and she, 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 the Lord revealed all her inner vows. I will not be angry because it's bad, bad. She pushed down, right down to here. She could see it. She pushed all negative emotions. She battles with pain in her legs. Denial can be stuck in our body. Our health can be because of deep denial of negative feelings. They're not, no such thing. I will not be bad. I will not be sad. I will not be angry. Always a delightful person. Never sadness. Never anger. That, that woman is battling with rage <laughs> since we prayed all them off. It's because it's like... It's a, 50 years worth of anger has been allowed to have a voice. She's got a very patient husband who knows the situation she's in. But I'm just telling you the story because that's still in there, the alleviates one. Is that, did that come on the screen? Sorry. That's what I thought came up. Sorry. Alleviates. So that is 
still in the person if they're to come out of denial. So just know that's part of their journey is that needs to then be expressed. So that, yeah, anger might even be in there. So that, that woman is now having appropriate responses at an inappropriate time. It doesn't match her current day thing. Some small thing happened last week. <laughs> but it was the six-year-old. <laughs> Sometimes the child in us has greater authority than the adult for some of us. Um, okay, so the last slide. What if I'm realizing I'm in denial? Number three, recognize also how your denial has harmed others. So when we do the healing process, number two, of the inner healing, it's the we recognize it, we repent of it, and there's five steps we learn about in prayer ministry. Yeah, you guys used to the hand thing. What's the biggest gap between all of them, which on my hand, between the thumb and the pointy finger. So we learn, once they've recognized denial, we don't rush to then just, okay, well, I'll just forgive and repent of that and do all the things that bring me in healing. We take time having the heart have a voice. What's the pain? What are those, what's the, the shame, the guilt, the fear that's under that? We need that to be expressed. Otherwise, they go through the motions and this doesn't change. This is still trapped inside. So once they've done all that, we need to get them to a place or the Lord, the way to do it is actually ask the Lord. I'm going to close with this story. I was in the Philippines last year for two weeks at a Green Tree event there. And what the way that that green tree worked, which we're not doing to you coming this time, is you listened to lectures in the morning and you did the prayer ministry in the afternoons and got assessed and got watched. So for four days, my little small group ministered to a Singaporean man and the fruit in his life was he was told he had to have prayer ministry that he didn't want it. I'm like, oh, that's the worst person to do prayer ministry on. You can't unless they're ripe. I'm like, he's paid for this and he can't go back to Singapore. We're in the Philippines. He's like, I was told I have to do this if I have to move up the rung in ministry because of my sexual addiction. And I'm like, okay, so day one was, I, I was put on doing the ministry for the day one and day two, so for six hours altogether, was me fishing around to find the, depth, the, the level of recognition and the level of repentance. And when we got to, and how does your wife feel about this? It was a really bad sexual addiction. I'd never... Come across someone who does that. Um, it was, oh, it won't be impacting her. See, the, the, just, the, just, just complete minimalizing. Complete minimalizing, the first one. And so, what do you do with someone who's completely minimalized the impact of their choices and their denial structure on their marriage and on their children and on... It's shocking because they never feel it. The family feel it. But the journey was, we were like, how do we do this? How do we do this? So eventually we realized, ah, oh, the denial was from young. He's not just denying his fruit now. Most, a lot of Asian cultures grow up with them having a lot of unmet need because it's not a nurture-based uh, developmental time. It's nanny. It's not a lot of touch. Both parents work. It's a very functional, so it's very hard for them to know that something went wrong. There's fruit in their life, but no, they were good, and they both brought good income, and they both loved me. So then we had to switch the whole Green Tree event around because every small group, which all had a person from a different Asian country being ministered to, were all in denial about their upbringing because they don't need nurture. So then we'd put a denial teaching the very next day, and then we went back into small groups, and we started to tell them this is actually what a human, doesn't matter what culture, needs. And then we went through, we went through. On the third day, his fourth day was the next day. It was a four-day prayer ministry. And we went, Lord, what kind of reconciliation will happen with his wife? But on day three, he deeply repented. And we found the root of that sexual sin completely all the way back. 
And then we said, your homework is to go ask Jesus how you think this denial structure and this sin, this false refuge of sexual sin, has impacted your wife. That was his homework. Because we can't force someone. So that person went into the garden, met with Jesus, went back to his room that night and wept over his wife and repented and repented. And for the first time, her, the sin that had been done to her was acknowledged. But, she, but the guy had to ask Jesus to reveal it into his gut because the denial system is to not be in touch with what I'm doing with the kids because then I can't cope. And what I'm doing with husband, it's a denial system. So Jesus, what is my impact? And the Lord showed him. And they were restored before they flew back to Singapore. So we need the restoration to happen. Otherwise, true healing hasn't happened. But the Lord can reveal it. But if we're people who are not sure how we've impacted our family because our shutdown is so important to us, it's keeping us alive. Not really. It's just keeping us comfortably numb. Do the homework of Jesus. How is my denial structure impacting my family? Or how has it impacted my family, even though I'm coming out of it now? And that, need, that level of restitution needs to happen for true restitution to happen. So that's just all I wanted to share today on, de on denial. <laughs> because it's impacting our movement forward as a church. If some of us stay stuck forever... It's because it's our decision to because it's keeping me alive. But it's not keeping you alive. <laughs> it's keeping you comfortably numb. And we want you all. And the Lord doesn't want one person to be left behind with an area in your life that's just a daze and a haze and left covered. Because the bad fruit always comes. <laughs> we don't want the bad fruit. Um, kids have been out there for quite a while too. I'm just going to ask the Lord how to close in prayer. Um, it's not something that if this has come up madly in your heart today, we can completely deal with. We can't do a prayer ministry session today, but we can pray trauma off and for Jesus to, to come. It's, not, it's actually not a bad thing to feel the guilt for a few days. Guilt is our friend. Shame is not. True guilt leads us to the cross and to repentance. It's okay to feel it. <laughs> False guilt is shame, and there's no shame here. This is not a shame sermon. Hmm. Well, won't you stand with me? And if there's something in, is not, you don't feel is an area for you, and you might be truly right about it, I, d I don't feel like I used denial to cope. It's just not an area I slipped into. I felt the brunt of every pain. <laughs> but um, So then can you just intercede for others in the room, please? Can I just ask you to be on duty in that way and help me? Um, and we'll just pray. Jesus, I just thank you that in your light we see light. And the truth sets us free. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the light. There's, we, we only can move forward in our life and thrive if we come into all truth. And so, Father, I ask right now that you would show yourself completely close as the second option, but the better option. That we don't have to come out of denial and have nothing and have no coping strategy and just have pain and responsibility and shame and fear. We get to come out of denial and go into you. You're the other option. It's not one or nothing. So, Jesus, would you begin to reveal how close you are to all of us individually that there's no shame in the light and that all breakthrough happens in the light. 
It's, your, it's in the truth, Lord. It's, it's your truth that sets us free. And I just pray, Lord, you would just begin to melt us with your spirit of truth. You'd begin to wash denial off our lenses, Lord, that we can see that we've been using a coping mechanism to avoid life. When you are true life, help us to be brave. Lord, I ask that you would just fill us with courage that we don't have. I pray right now, Lord, that you begin lifting fear off us in Jesus' name. Lift off the fear of the truth. Lift off the fear of the truth in Jesus' name. Lift off any, anyone who, Lord, feels overwhelmed. And that is why the denial is in place, because within it's not there, all they have is overwhelmedness. And for some of us, childhood was overwhelming. Would you just lift off the impact, Father? Lift off the trauma that's underneath the denial structure, Jesus. Would you just come right now and just begin to lift trauma off spirits, off hearts, off minds and help us to be people who won't go hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. We will say that the e what the evil was and we will hear what the evil was and we will call it what it was and we will deal with it with you, Jesus, and we'll untangle ourselves from it and we will walk forward into true healing Forgive us for choosing numbness and passivity as a coping mechanism. Forgive us, Jesus, for judging our emotions. And help us to choose life and life to the full. Help us to be brave. Help us. Would you build in trust of people in the, in the church who can help us? Would you just build in that trust, Lord, that we can trust them to give us feedback of what the truth is? I thank you, Father, that you will be lifting off corporate denial systems, Lord, not only in this church but in this region and in this nation. Anything preventing us from standing in our authority as men and women and picking up our mantles and running. Whatever has caused a lot of fathers to lie down and lay down their mantle and pass it on to their wives, Jesus, forgive us for that. Forgive us as women for choosing to pick it up and become the things instead of confronting them to get up. Help us to be brave. Help us to take up our responsibility of being human and being alive. Life is a gift. Help us embrace it, all of it. The pain, the agony, the heartache, the joy, the love, the delight, it's all part of life. Help us be open to it and to experience it and to, to use it for good. Help us to wake up, Jesus. For some of us have chosen slumber to cope, internal slumber, spiritual slumber. Just live in a daze and let the other family members patch it all up. Help us pick up our responsibility. Where your burden is easy and your yoke is light, we can do this. And help us live. We just receive your forgiveness right now, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you that there's no condemnation in Christ. And would you help us over these next few days, Lord, renounce. Just fight this thing, people. Each day, renounce denial. You've got to learn to hate it or it's, it doesn't get taken off you. There's no one who can take it off you. If you're starting to recognize it's in play, you have to hate it and you have to defriend it. Click. 
you have to renounce it. You are no longer my friend. You're no longer my comfort. You're no longer my protection. For some of us, denial has been the only protection we knew. Renounce it as your protection and choose the, your, your relationships and your church body and Christ as your protection. It is not your protection. It's your silent killer. Do you see the difference? It's killing you. It's false protection. It's false comfort. It's false living. Let's renounce denial in Jesus' name and untangle ourselves from that coping mechanism. Embrace the fireball of pain and run into life using each other as a support. We're here for you. You don't have to face what's inside on your own. We are right here beside you. We love you. We're with you. We want you free. We bless you. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.